In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Barely, but yes, episode three thirty six. That's right. If we could tell you the, the horror stories we had, mostly me having trying to get this damn thing to record tonight, all of the bells and whistles we had to go through in the hoops. But yeah, we're an hour past our scheduled start time, so we're going to launch right into it, guys. We're going to be covering Green Lanterns number fifty four and fifty five, continuing on the Evil's Might storyline. Mark is taking 54. I'm taking 55. Mark, go ahead. Cyborg Superman is back. Do your issue, Chad. (laughs) (laughs) Then we can move on to other stuff. Now, all right, let's try to do a relatively succinct wrap-up of of issue 54. We begin in Space Sector 328 where Hal and the rest of the Earth Lanterns and Kilowog pretty much are dealing with the disaster of uh, what happened on Penelo. They're taking the survivors to a new planet, which uh, basically is pretty suitable for them. And it's a kind of, I kind of think it's – I'd like the scene with Jessica and the, and the little Penelo there, one of the citizens. Like, uh, we have lost so very much. Thank you, Green Lantern of Earth, with a little with a little tentacle on her face. I, I like I like them power dropping all these. Yes, yeah, like, like, <laughs> like a whole thing of jellyfish going straight down. Well, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that uh, video you can find online of – uh, some pond somewhere being or, or lake being restocked with fish, and it's just a plane flying over and jettisoning a bunch of fish. And you're like, what must be going through those fish's minds when they just suddenly find themselves airborne, launched out of a jet into the water down below? Holy ass! <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it's you know, like when they're fighting wildfires and they dump that yeah, stuff on. Yes. Yeah, they they do. It's the exact same process. They just open the open the doors and just launch a bunch of fish into the into the lake. <laughs> you know, like, you gotta wonder what the survival rate is. You know what I mean? Like, why not why not have them like lower this these construct ships into the water a little bit, then open the doors. <laughs> open. Open the pod bay door, Hal. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> hey, that would work. That's Hal. Okay. So, um, during the during the whole rescue operation here, there's there's ongoing conversation about about Simon. Guy pretty much thinks Simon is a, is a is a traitor, and they do kind of debate the fact that it's kind of weird that you know he. Somehow Simon got communication from the Guardians telling him to do this while the Guardians seemingly can't communicate with anybody, <laughs> which is a good point. And Jessica sticks up for Simon, and that's – and that's and Hal seems a little bit – kind of he seems mostly neutral on this. But then the circumstantial evidence certainly makes him start thinking that at the very least we need to know exactly where Simon is. So we switch back to basically the Fortress of Solitude where Einstein Simon continues to be manipulated perfectly. Which leads to a nice scene in this movie, but in this issue, which kind of just drives that point home. <laughs> but he keeps, you know, he keeps up uh, pouring energy in to try to, you know, to try to break into the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, Superman, in quotes, keeps telling him, "You're gonna do it! You're gonna do it! You're gonna do!" <laughs> Giving him this big pep talk. Eventually, he does break into the uh, Fortress of Solitude. I feel bad for Kellex here. Kellex always gets a raw deal. That's, I, was, I was just going to interrupt and say that because Kellex is always getting broken down and his ass handed to him. Yeah, I, thought, I mean this goes this goes back to like the reign of the Superman time. It's just, it's just no, it goes it goes back even further. It goes back to when it all first started happening with the freaking the original Man of Steel series. Kellex was getting his butt handed to him. 
Yeah, it's sad because I like I like Kellex. I like, we're talking we're talking John Byrne era stuff, man. Like when it was first around, Kellex was getting his butt handed to him. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, Kellex Kellex gets fried by the lamest Green Lantern of all, Simon Baz. Uh, then he sees this big vault with the S shield on it. At least there's a flicker of intelligence going through Simon's head, going. Why would Superman need a vault, and why would he be trapped inside, and why couldn't he get out? But, no, but nonetheless, uh, Cyborg Superman does a nice head, jo- head, you know, play that nice head game with him. It's like, oh, you can run your skin on me to make yourself feel better, which we know how that's going to work. <laughs> we know how that. <laughs> so he does. He he runs. He runs it. He op- he opens the vault. He's like, I'm honored, Superman. It's like a, and of course, Cyborg Superman says, yeah, of course, be aware that you have been the perfect tool. <laughs> <laughs> and then he and he blasts him with heat vision, which is great. Uh, and then he concedes, and he continues to like rub it into his, in rub salt in the wound even more. It's like you puppet, you lemming. I played you like a fiddle, <laughs> which I kind of <laughs> like because it's Simon, and I don't really don't give a shit about Simon. But Cyborg Superman is at his best when he's a cocky prick. Let's be honest. And of course, Simon can't. Sam, Simon can't really do anything against Cyborg Superman. We find this out because he's got control of all the AI and the rings and the power battery. But an interesting reveal, which uh, it's kind of lame on some level, is the fact that one of the things Cyborg Superman did when he when he when it, he reached out into the central power battery was at some point he took control of the Phantom Ring. He was responsible for killing the Guardian, but he also managed to miraculously put the put the ring on Simon's finger, it was invisible, and it had no weight to it, which the only good thing about that, they began to give you a, an explanation for how Green Lanterns can wear their rings and nobody noticed that they're wearing their rings in real life. Because <laughs> he basically says, this is a, it kinda, it, I did the same thing to the Phantom Ring, basically, to put on your finger that you use yourself to hide your ring from other people. So, it's kind of <laughs> nice to see the Phantom Ring again. It's been a while. <laughs> and uh, Cyborg Superman put, you know, puts it on, and of course, I don't. I have a personal preference to Cyborg Superman looking like Cyborg Superman, like Reign of the Superman, Cyborg Superman. I don't. I certainly didn't like the Apocalyptan uh, version of him, and I didn't like the not as much. I didn't like the like Sinestro Corps Superman, which basically this is a variation on the Sinestro Corps Superman colors, just with a Green Lantern symbol in his chest instead of Sinestro, a Sinestro S shield. Uh, so you know, I. And I also should point out, I don't really like the Cyborg Superman font. I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> I don't think that's a good choice. So, but but Hank Henshaw just kind of announces, "Hey, it's me. I'm back. Everybody knows who I am. I invaded your central power battery. I took I I I own you. I own the core. I own everything." And Simon, that's impossible. We get a brief little <laughs> almost drifting into Sean Connery for a second. <laughs> I'm writing to be impressed. Uh, we got a, we got a. Quick little flashback of where we last saw Cyborg Superman in action 9.99, and how quickly he shook off Superman's uh, plan, his influence, and of course more machinery, so Hank Henshaw can do anything with anything that has any kind of any kind of tech or mechanical parts in it. Simon pulls a gun on him, which is kind of funny. Not just because it relates to the end, but just because what's he going to do with a Green Lantern construct gun against <laughs> against Cyborg Superman? And you know. Basically, uh, we, uh, Hank Henshaw beats the crap out of Simon, which, of course, he could have killed Simon real easy. If, they, if he's getting into a fist fight with Simon Baz, that's not going to last very long. We, Henshaw kind of point, he points out again how when everybody recharged their rings, he basically he reached out to the rings to be able to control them, like a, you know, the, ult, you know, the, you know the, the worst virus manageable. And then he leaves Simon, even though he says he should kill him, but, hey, you made me more powerful than you freed me, so you know, I'll let you live for that. <laughs> Simon kind of pulls himself together, barely staggers into the fortress, miraculously again finds some guns, loads up, and again there, you know, like before, I made the mistake, you know, of trusting a damned ring, and he puts, and he's loading, uh, loading his holster back up with a, a fresh gun. It's not, it's not necessarily miraculous that no, he finds I know. this, it, it, because Superman's be, fortress has always had an armory. No, in I it. know, but it, it's con- it is a little convenient. But yes, I I know, I'm being I'm being I'm being a tad facetious there. Um, a lot of exposition, but I kind of like it. It this, I mean, it's Dan Jurgens writing a cyborg Superman story, so it's gonna have a, a sort of like more classic comic feel. But this one really got to me in terms of how classic it feels. Not that like I'm saying this this storyline is an instant classic. What I'm saying is it felt more old school. Um, 
I don't know if you felt that way, but like, uh, it where's where's the uh, where's the page with all of the creator credits? Is it at the very end? Uh, no, it's no. not. It is. It is the second part of the splash page when they're when they're dropping off uh, the penal penal penalopians. Let's. Uh, who's the letterer? The letterer is Dave Sharp. Uh, letterer Dave Sharp is really, really getting some hardcore action here because uh, let's see here we got uh, some sound effects like uh, vroom scratch scat uh, he. Uh, Scash when he kills uh, poor uh, poor Kellex there. Uh, uh, uh Brash, Bracoon, oh. Wood. Savior of the universe. There's a there's a Choom, a Prack. I mean, there's all kinds of a big bold sound effect lettering across this thing. Uh, which really helps lend to that classic feel that I was speaking of. Uh, there's, I, I want to say a good half of this comic is solid exposition from Cyborg Superman, but I could just be exaggerating. It could only really be a third. But <laughs> <laughs> way to go out in the limb, there, Chad. <laughs> it's 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 pretty. I mean, it's pretty expository, is it not? Yes, it is. But I I didn't mind it either because like. I, like I said, this is kind of when Hank Henshaw is at his best when he's when he's when he's wrapped up in his own cockiness and just and just and, monologuing. Yeah, and, and and has the need to kind of like tell people tell this is how I did it in that classic villain kind of mode and like or 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 as he tends to do it, this is why I'm going to win because of this reason, <laughs> which we know you're not because you never do. But the point is. But the Phantom Ring was a nice touch, though. I wasn't necessarily expecting the Phantom Ring to pop up in the story. Arc. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it either. What do you think of the actual explanation of what's what's been happening, how he was able to do it, so on and so forth? The only, the only, I mean, I ask because you're the Cyborg Superman fan, so. Oh, you mean based on wh- whether we think he would be capable of doing that with his powers? Yeah, I don't uh, both, on, on both sides of it, whether it's actually capable and actually what you, as as someone who's reading it, think of it as a as an idea. I think the the only issue the only issue I had with it the fact that about Kadasal being so familiar with Cyborg Superman. Because hmm. he's a Templar guardian, right? Isn't he one of the True. Templars? They were look how long they were. I mean, I'm not saying they didn't get up to snuff on some things, but I mean, but you would think Ganthet and Sade would be the only two who would really have any kind of real <laughs> good understanding of Cyborg Superman. So that that part, it's not like it was unbelievable. But if they had picked a different guardian, not that I would want them to kill a guardian we really knew and cared about that much. But that was about the when he was giving that story about oh how he basically made himself get detected so Kadasal would go to protect the Phantom Ring so he could get the Phantom Ring out so he could control the Phantom Ring and kill Kadasal and then all you know and basically help set Simon up in a way and put the ring on his finger and yada. It, I mean, less yeah. There was there's a lot of coincidence and a lot of things had to happen for this plan to go through. But we all know and that's often the case whether it's in a movie or a book or a TV show. Lots of things have to fall into place and miraculously do when people have these grand schemes. <laughs> I didn't ha- I didn't have a huge issue with it. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't necessarily have any any problems with it. My here's the deal. I, I'm not. I, I think. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the art in this, I'm going to comment on that first. That's great. I, I really don't have any issues with the art. There's a couple of times, it could be the inking, it could be the coloring, it could be the art itself, where things look in certain spots slightly muddied in the fight between um, Cyborg Superman and, and Simon Baz, as well as in the flashback. It could just be the use of how the flashback is slightly dimmer and you know, uh, you know, it's more blurry to to really convey that it is a flashback and so on and so forth. That just it, that might be all intentional, but there's a couple of moments that look sort of odd. But anyways, beyond that, the art's pretty great, uh, and, and the coloring really works, especially with the the fight in the snow and the fact that you have the green of Simon Baz versus you know that red and black and silver of Cyborg Superman. 
you know, up against the snow. So that's that's pretty cool looking. So and of course, I commented on the lettering. I just don't know how I feel about Cyborg Superman being able to infiltrate. Infiltrate, yes. Control to this level. I I don't know how I feel how I how I feel about that. Because we're talking like top to bottom control. He's across the universe, uh, sending s- signals to like the Phantom Ring to kill Katasal. He's he's in the central power battery itself. I mean, like the the the, the sheer level of control he's got over it is just is is just uh, borderline unbelievable to me. Like it's a comic book. We're writing a story. The heroes are going to win. Like, I, don't get me wrong. I know all this. So, but the suspension of disbelief here isn't so high that I can't stand it, but it's just high enough that I'm questioning it. To me, excuse me. Yeah. To me, the bigger issue with this is when, when he loses, how, how, how are we going to really believe that he's defeat? I mean, that's in a way that's the problem with Cyborg Superman is based on our past experiences with him. We know he can't die, and we know because he's so capable of inhabiting even the smallest piece of technology or or mechanical parts and things like that. That it does every time you use him, it becomes more challenging to put him in a place that you actually can really believe. Oh, this will stop him for any reasonable amount of time. And now that he's had this much influence and this much control and he's reached out and he's touched all these all the stuff, all this Owen tech and everything related to the Green Lantern Corps, no matter how he's beaten at the end of the story arc, how can we how sure can we be on any level, realistically, not comic book wise, realistically, that he's still not leaving a piece of himself somewhere to come back mm-hmm. with it, you know. So that that's kinda you know that's kinda the problem. I mean Nothing. I mean, don't get me wrong. Nothing was more more of a stretch than I think during in the Adventures of Superman when when he ended up just uh, going into like when he went into like the, the Source Wall or whatever. That might have been actually after Hal. I think that was after Hal crushed him. After Hal put him in that sphere in Emerald in Emerald Night and crushed him. I think that's supposedly where he went. He like he he phased he transferred his essence into something into the into the Source Wall itself. So, I mean, he can. You're never gonna get rid of this guy. He's like, you know, it's like getting, trying to get rid of like roaches or something. <laughs> but the reality, <clears throat> I I think it's interesting. I I'm more concerned about how how it's going to be how it's going to be resolved. So. <clears throat> yeah. Well, there's there's only really two options, right? It's either Hal because his ring is presumably not corrupted since he made it himself, or it's going to be Jessica because of the relationship she has with her ring, right? You would you would you'd you'd want to lean towards the latter since it is the Green Lantern's book, but it's but number one besides the fact that we know besides the fact that a spoiler alert we know the solicit for the last issue in this series is supposed to be Hal versus versus Henshaw at Coast City, <laughs> but beyond that we already know that he's been able to control Jessica's ring by having by sending having by having that ring send her messages. Well, I'm not saying he can't. What I'm saying is, given her relationship with her oh, to ring, over, to overcome it. To overcome it, she stands more of a chance of overcoming it. So, I mean, don't get. I mean, Cyborg Superman versus Hal Jordan over Coast City. Yeah, that's a fight you got to see. But at the same time, it's also possible for Jessica to be in this fight and a huge factor in it. Oh yeah, it's, it's, I just don't see any of the others though. But they. You know what? That, well, wait. They, they they make a point of focusing in on John and my issue for for a split moment. So maybe he'll have something. Yeah, you have to assume he's going to be making a try a triumphant return from the almost death. <laughs> yeah, the almost dead. All right. Uh, anything else you want to say about this one before I go into uh, into my uh, issue? But your issue has the better cover, I believe. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I I, I enjoy it. Uh, Richard. So, Green Lanterns number 55, um, we open in Space Sector 1355, where um, all of the, um, there you go, Ravagers, uh, as well as Eon, are awaiting Cyborg Superman's arrival. He shows up, uh, and they report that uh, 98.7% 
of the minerals that were they were targeting for on Penelope's were um, were recovered. That's sufficient. Um, you know, Cyborg Superman's your ravagers of suits serving well. They're entitled to the revenge on those who cast him to the brink of extinction. And then here we see uh, the sort of uh, emphasis for the the ravagers uh, and why they're uh, joining this cause. The lanterns and their guardian overlords prevented you from joining a federation that would have elevated you, made your lives better. With their rejection, you were exiled on a barren, rotting husk of a world. The federation didn't care if you lived or died. The supposed champions of the universe, the lanterns, didn't care either. For that, I'll give you their world, and by extension, the seat of power you should have had, I give you your future. Uh, we go over to Jessica, who's remembering uh, relocating the Penelopeans, I guess. Penelopeish. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but they are uh, Jessica, uh, Hal, Simon, or not Simon, uh, Jessica, Hal, Kyle, Guy, and Kilowog are back on Mogo, marching towards a building. In snow. Uh, sorry? In snow. Yep, in the snow to uh, reunite with the Guardians, uh, who bring them up to speed uh, and tell them about the Phantom Ring. And Guy, of course, gets all snooty. Some Guardians, you are letting the most dangerous weapon of all time waltz out of here. Uh, Jessica reiterates its powers. Uh, uh, Raimi says, I would have tried, I would have tried to, dest- I, I would have destroyed it, of course, but it. I tried for a long time, and it never worked. Um, so Kyle asks any idea who took it, and Sade says, eh, that's not important. All that matters is finding it. And it's like, how is the wearer not important? <laughs> and Kilowog's like, you have a suspect, don't you? Uh, you're correct. Correct, we believe Simon Baz took the Phantom Ring. Uh, guy's already on his high horse, so you... So Baz is a traitor. Like, oh, no, no benefit of the doubt from Guy Gardner. Um, and, but to be fair, considering how this prick talks about Guy all the time, good for Guy. <laughs> I, I told you. Um, so while the, suddenly they detect ships coming out of warp above Mogo, it's the Ravagers, the Lanterns go to deal with it, while the Guardians go over to the Central Power Battery. See if they can provide the Phantom Rings location, and you really haven't figured it out yet. You don't. You really don't know what's happened. You're far bigger idiots than I imagined. And Cyborg Superman comes through the central power battery, uh, takes on the Guardians, and the the Lanterns are taking trying to take on the Ravagers and Eon at the same time. Uh, the Ravagers are firing down at the planet of Mogo. We see, um, uh, what is his name? I forget. The Doctor. Oh, I forget. I forget his name too. The Doctor from Salix race, uh, and John, and all of them in the rubble. Um, Cyborg Superman's uh, taking out uh, all of the uh, Guardians. He and he says. I was in your power battery. When your flunkies recharged, I moved inside their rings. I spoke to your soldiers, and they thought it was you. I control their rings enough, meaning you and your army of misfits have no chance against me. As they're fighting the Ravagers in Eon, their rings go offline uh, or start not doing what they wanted to do in space, uh, except for Hal, who's still in the fight. He says, seems my ring isn't the, is about the only one that isn't compromised. I'll have to. And then you hear... Uh, Kra, uh, as the Ravagers are firing on Mogo, and he says, "Was that a death scream, Mogo?" Uh, and um, suddenly, Cyborg Superman unleashes like some full power of the Phantom Ring onto the Guardians, and they are all down for the count. And he says, "Your world is mine. Your ten soldiers are mine. All that you have been and, uh, are and will be is mine." And next, Lost Cause. Don't like his pants. Looks like he's just wearing some some stretch pants. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a great, it's not very, not a great uniform look. <laughs> yeah, I really don't. That's the one thing I can honestly say. I don't. I really don't look. I don't like at all this costume design <laughs> of this incarnation of Cyborg Superman. <laughs> Was the artist on this issue the same as the artist on your issue? 
go check because yeah, Perkins. No, uh, Santucci was the artist on mine. Perkins was back on yours. Okay, so yeah, the, I, I I like the art on your issue more than I like the art on this issue. Booyah! What'd you think? I like my issue better, which is why I picked my issue. But this issue isn't bad. Uh, I did like I did like the Guardians and the the whole interaction between the Guardians and Henshaw. Though, yeah, yeah they they get their hands dirty a little bit. I mean, so they, that's cool. Yeah, they but they this as kind of like the, the pendulum on this has swung so far that we have the Guardians that are trying to do the right thing, but they really are like really screwing up a lot. <laughs> And, and, and or are ineffective more than you would like to think they are. Uh, they're, they're like we talked about during the time of Godhead and different things that how they were just weakening you know the Lantern Corps and making them less in the Green Lantern Ring and, and everything in general. They were just weakening weakening it. That it's, the Guardians are really being depowered here as far as what they're capable of doing and and how omniscient they are. More like how they aren't. Uh, so this is gonna be a tough one. Again, this is gonna be a tough one to shake off, and it's gonna be a, and it's gonna be hard to see how. Uh, again, how this whole how this is all resolved, how 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 anybody can feel confident that this isn't gonna happen again, even if it isn't with Henshaw, but with somebody else. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I I thought the story itself was fine. Uh, the art wasn't bad. It's just if I were to compare the two, I much prefer the art in fifty four over fifty five. Um, the colors are pretty cool because you got a lot of phantom ring like stuff happening there uh, towards the end. Uh, speaking of the guardians, you know, like I was saying, they got their hands dirty by they they were you know basically saying like um, you were you may be able to control the rings of the battery, but this power comes from us. See how you handle us. But then they get smacked down pretty hardcore, so it's you know kind of a non-starter. But. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I feel like I feel like we're a little too much in the treading water territory here. Not a lot has happened. Uh, we've got the reveal of Cyborg Superman, of course, back in '53, but now we're in '55, and I've still have yet to see any real. I mean, of, of course, Cyber, Cyborg Superman and Eon and the Ravagers are whooping some butt, but at the same time, I've, I've yet to see a true Endgame start up. You know what I mean? For who, Cyborg Superman? Yeah, I, we, we, we know what's happening. He wants to take out the Green Lantern Corps, and he's going to relocate the Ravagers to Mogo or whatever, and all of this stuff. But at the same time, I, I really feel like it's he's it's right now these past two, maybe two and a half, if you consider part of the 53, um, it's, it's all about the fight. I've yet to see a, a real in-game move here. But you assume part of it has – you assume it will be next issue. Yeah. It's a little late in the game maybe depending on one's perspective, but considering there's only two more issues left that uh, – I mean it might be it might be being dragged out on purpose. So, I mean I don't mean dragged out in a bad way. Like they're purposely making things so slow and uh, just get to it already. But it, it, it could be that Dan Jurgens was told partway through this, oh, you're going to have an extra issue too because we're going to cancel the series and all this. So it's possible he's he's stretching it out, or maybe he knew going into it he was only going to have this many issues. We don't know. And to me, to be honest, I don't think there's an issue with these two issues. But on bum, I think if, if this story dragged, I think it was getting to this point. Yeah. You had okay. fifty. You had fifty, which was a but an oversized issue, right? Fifty, and you had fifty, yeah. fifty-one, and fifty-one, fifty-two, and then fifty and fifty-three. So we had but four four issues, right mm-hmm. before this. I think that's where it kind of if if you're if you're gonna point fingers and say oh yeah it it you know it dragged out somewhere I'm gonna say that's kind of that's where I would say it's dragged out now I don't I don't I don't find it particularly uh overly pro I don't I don't find it problematic at all what's happened the, the pacing let's say of these two issues but I think overall okay. yes I think it started it started slow and I think we kind of acknowledge that that it did kind of start in a less than spectacular fashion even even ending the First, like issue fifty or whatever, with like the death of the guardian. All right. Anything else you want to talk about? No, man. We good. All right, guys. That's it. We'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, <laughs> good, good one, Chad. But yeah. at least, but at least we got that part done in a half an hour. So now we have plenty of time for the rest. So this, so we will be, we might better wrap up around for us normal time, despite starting so late. <laughs> uh, Venom. Yeah, let's do your Venom stuff. Okay, so there was an article posted today as we record this uh, on comicbook.com. Uh, Venom, why the symbiotes come to Earth revealed. Uh, I Normally I don't pay too much attention to these articles leading up to a movie release, like all these little leaks and stuff. But given that this was uh, the, like why the symbiotes are here – what it has to do with things, especially if Spider-Man like Secret Wars is is not involved in this, and that was a, a reason for a lot of people not going to go see it. Uh, I figured I'm gonna read this, get it out there, so we we can talk about it for a minute, see what you think. Uh, we already know I'm in full support of this movie. I got my ticket the other day for opening night, so you know we we know I'm on board. Um, but I just wanted to read this. Maybe it'll get someone out there to be curious and want to go see it. The, they got um, Paul Franklin, which is the VFX supervisor, said all this. He says, we see at the beginning of the film the moment when the symbiotes are collected up by the a Life Foundation space probe, which finds them on a comet drifting through space approaching Earth. And the space probe is out there looking for signs of life, and they can't believe their luck. There's life signals everywhere all across this asteroid. The symbiotes seem to actively want to be collected because it's all part of their plan to come to Earth. They're looking for planets where they can find hosts to inhabit. They've never really found a place where they can exist in harmony with the life forms of whatever planet they find themselves on. The fun thing about the Life Foundation is that it's a cover. Character-wise, it's a cover. The company itself is supposed to be this beautiful, perfect scientific endeavor for all mankind, while actually it's just a dark cover-up for doing scientific experiments that are going a bit too far and using people for things that are non-ethical. And besides that, being treasonous, teaming up with aliens to take over the Earth, so that's not really healthy. We see several different symbiotes. We've got different colored symbiotes. We understand that venom isn't just an, a one-off organism. There is a com- uh, this is a completely new thing for the symbiotes. The venom symbiote finds Eddie Brock, finds he can live in equilibrium with him, and there's a balance that can be found there. What do you think of that? I mean, I, I, I you're going to see it because I, you know, I've been making a big deal of it all all year, and presumably you want to see it for at least some of your own reasons, but. Beyond that, what do you think of that? Sounds plausible. I mean, see, I mean, it, it for not being tied to Spidey, not being tied to Secret Wars. At least the symbiotes are still a group of beings from coming from their own planet who have been have had some sort of history in the Marvel. I guess it's technically Marvel, Marvel in quotation marks in association with the Marvel universe. Because clearly they've existed, and it says that they, you know, have tried to exist in harmony with other beings. So I like that the symbiotes aren't some one-off thing. It's not something that was created in a lab. They're definitely alien, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I think it's. I didn't. I when I when I first read that before, I I did not have any. I did not have a, any issue with it. It kind of it. It's plausible, and I like the way they hinted at. Well, Ven- the Venom symbiote is different, and it remains to be seen whether the, any of the other symbiotes have basically have the same view and or have the same can have the same kind of relationship with its host. Um. Yeah, it, because they, they this guy uses the word harmony, and when I think of a harmonious existence between two organisms in a symbiotic relationship. I don't think of, you know, taking over somebody. So I'm wondering how much, how much uh, the person who is wearing the symbiote influences said symbiote. Because as I mean, in the comics, we know part of the reason. Part. Everybody out there listening who knows anything about symbiotes, notice I said part. Part of the reason Carnage is so nuts is because he's locked onto a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, you want that, what you uh, eat. Yeah. So there's 
there's there's a there's there's that relationship there and the wearer influences the symbiote. I'm wondering how much of a role that's going to play in this film. Also, how much of the reverse is going to play in this film, because that has happened in the past where like Venom has had issues mentally or something and gone off the deep end or whatever and has uh, taken control of his host in certain instances and done something that is out of character for Venom at that time or something like that. So I'm curious how much the symbiote affects the person and how much the person affects the symbiote and how we'll see that here. Is it 50-50? Are they trying to make it a all or nothing? Because if you watch all these, these, these trailers, it seems like, and I'm not a horror movie fan, but they almost have like a horror movie bent to them. You know, like an alien invasion horror movie, body snatchers sort of a feel. Uh, so I'm wondering if they're going like all or nothing on the symbiotes themselves are the are to blame. But you know, it's not like any. It's not like we expect trailers to give away all of the the entire story before we visit the theater. So maybe maybe that's a bait and switch. Maybe. All right. Well, that's what I wanted to talk about there. Uh, and that's the last you'll hear me talk about spoilery stuff for Venom unless something super insane comes out. Um, and there's only like oh. a, like two weeks, so I don't think. <laughs> yeah. I've got my ticket, though. I'm seeing it by myself because my brother-in-law and sister are going to be out of town. But whatever, I'm seeing it. Thursday night, October 4th, 8 p.m. All right. Um, what do you want to talk about next? Let's do Iron Fist next. Iron Fist. All the right. Iron Wing. That's right. Iron Fist. I uh, I saw season two, wrapped it up, and now I think, yeah, I'm completely caught up on all my net Marvel Netflix because I also finished The Punisher. So. Yeah, I still have to go back and pick up on that. I liked it. I liked, uh, Speaking to The Punisher, I, uh, just briefly, I liked it, but I just think I don't care. Unless they bring him, like, more back, like, more back, but back into the fold a bit more uh, with the rest of the Netflix Marvel stuff, I, I, I just don't care. It, it was good. It was well told. It was interesting. It's just, it wasn't for me. That's all I'm going to say about that. But Iron Fist, season two, so much better than the first season. I think it was better. Again, as we as we've already discussed, I liked the first season. I I am not one of the Kool Aid drinkers that hate on the first season. Uh, the second season, yeah, there were some really there were some interesting things in the second season. I think, in a way, Iron Fist is still plagued by the fact that even though you have to, this balances out because Colleen is technically a supporting character. Technically, though she's almost a co-star, but his the supporting cast on that show, the actual supporting cast for that show, not counting Misty, who's kind of like a crossover, it's kind of lame. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'll, I'll admit, I I've never liked Ward. Even though he maybe it's just the actor who plays him, I don't know, but I just I don't like Ward. But his character, but he was more likable this season. Well, yeah, his character traits sure were were were, were more likable this season, but like, I don't know. I just I can't I can't find myself empathizing with the guy, even when there are moments when you should be. But I think Joy was worse because because we, we talked about it the when we talked about this show at the wrapping up season one that I never really I had a big issue with her heel turn in the at the end of the final episode of last issue, of last season, so. So when you had this season in which she was a bad guy for both the overwhelming majority of the season, and even when she kind of sort of turned at the end a little bit, I didn't care all that much because you knew she was just doing it to save her own ass. Yeah. And I like Alice Eve, though. <laughs> generally speaking, I like Alice Eve, though. I don't know if it's because they did it on purpose or she's just getting older, but she certainly, she certainly looked like she had been through the wars, literally. Uh, her character, I didn't, I didn't really care about her, about her walk, her Mary Walker character whatsoever. I didn't. Typhoid Mary. I, I didn't. <clears throat> I, I mean, I, th- I mean, did I care about her in relation to the other things that were happening in the show? 
Not necessarily, but when she did show up, I was curious about what was happening with her. Uh, the way that the actor played that, the way the way that actor played with it, her backstory, all that stuff, that was interesting to me. It's where I was like, ah, what's what's happening here? But was I interested in it in relation to everything else that was happening? No. I don't yes. know if that's a distinction that many people. I mean, you, you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It it seemed like her her main role was to be a to be a complication, to be a distraction right. and a complication for 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 Danny mostly, and and to just make things more complicated for for Joy and and you know and Davos there. Uh, I I didn't see that. Davos, I didn't, I didn't like too much in the first season because you could see his heel turn coming. All, you know, even if you knew nothing, just forget about just what you see on the screen. Forget about any knowledge of you know, characters or comic books or whatever. His heel turn was a lot easier to see coming a long time, a long way down the road, much more than let's say Mordo in the Doctor Strange movie. Doctor right. Strange, if you didn't know Mordo was a bad guy in Doctor Strange lore. His turn was a little more surprising, but yet more, but completely understandable, and not just out of petty. Oh, this should have been mine, and you took it. Uh, so the fact that he, you know, the fact that even though the the one thing I did think of in, once he kind of took the, the Iron Fist power, I did kind of think it reminded me much of much of our Dark Star discussion about the lethal justice aspect hmm. because of what. How so? Because that's what he essentially was using it for. That mm-hmm. he 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 had you know he obviously was being corrupted by the power or was on the verge of it all even from the beginning. But in the begin he was doing what he perceived to be a weakness, much like the Dark Stars and Tomar saw as a weakness in the Green Lanterns. He saw a weakness in what Danny was using the power for because Danny wasn't willing to go far enough to deal you know to do to basically end these things once and for all. So that's why he was going through and, and you know and taking out. You know, so many, so many of the the underworld threats that he was de- that that were out there. He he wasn't messing around. He was going in. He was killing people left and right, and he had no qualms at killing anybody that he saw. And that's where you kind of saw the you know the kind of the corruption taking place. But that's what I, that's the only thing that was in, I found interesting about his character. Not because I thought he was ever redeemable, or not that I really cared about him being redeemed. I just said that hey, that's kind of interesting because of the stuff we were just dealing with and talking to Robert and everything else about the whole different ways you can approach the, the lethal justice debate and whether you want to portray it realistically or just always do the, let's just make them completely corrupt and crossing the line from the beginning so you can't see any, so any teeny tiny merit or more than teeny tiny merit you can see in that side of the debate goes out the window because they're already taking things to extremes. Right. So, so I, I, did, I, did, I did find that interesting. I the the ceremony to remove I I don't know about that about the removing the Iron Fist power that seemed a little I did like the Iron Fist corpse though I did like the ancient Iron Fist corpse complete with classic Iron Fist mask <laughs> that was, yeah that was cool that was cool too bad Danny didn't actually really wear that mask um after kind of he, he kind of did, did. In the beginning he wore something like it but not classic uh, it would have been cool it would have been but and obviously, a lot of people are intrigued about where they left off regarding Colleen and Danny to see uh, where they're going to go from here. And what what I do like, I do like the fact that everybody everybody's manifestation of the Iron Fist power is a different color. I did like that. I did like how you know Danny was yellow, and Davos was red, and Colleen was white. And it was cool. We're obviously getting it more. Ex- an extension of what the power is and how it can be used by having Colleen be able to use it through her what katana, and then Danny being able to use it somehow, which of course we need the backstory on how he even has his power back, uh, being able to trans use that power through guns, you know, and and projectiles. So, yeah, it certainly. Well, I mean, Col- Colleen was able to use it through her sword, so. Yeah, that's what I said. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. But uh, but I think, but I think that it. It certainly raises the stakes for interest in a third season. So I, I, I mean, I would, I probably would have been on board anyway. But Colleen is such a, such an overwhelmingly likable character, and obviously the stuff with her and Misty was really good. 
Right. Uh, the teasing of a Nightwing show would actually be interested in watching. <laughs> that was a cute line about that Nightwing. Uh, and also, I did like the not the potential foreshadowing. Maybe when she said that she wasn't happy with the way Luke was behaving, or the things that she saw in Luke, and the, and she felt somewhat com- comfortable that the, like the Iron Fist power might be one of the few things that could take him down. I thought that was kind of an interesting statement that she made. Yeah, I'm still not happy about how that all ended. What, Luke Cage? Yeah. But it was, but that was, but it was surprising. And again, it, it it's it's obviously besides the whole, the full Godfather homage aspect to how that episode ended. It's just the fact that it's going to be a play on whether you know absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we're going to have to see what that how. How he ends up changing, and how or how how much he changes, how far he he goes before he realizes, oh, you know, what he's doing is wrong, because that's probably the way they're going to go with this. Uh, yeah. But I, but I like I definitely like season two of Iron Fist. I do think it's superior. <laughs> and they shorten the amount of episodes. Which, to be fair, they should absolutely that that should be standard going forward because the, the thirteen episodes for any for all those shows are too many. It's just it just it just drags out. I mean, even ten you can make a case even ten episodes of the season might have been too long, but but it, it was but ten episodes really prevents you as long as the story is moving forward and things and you keep getting different and you because you got a lot of twists in this season as far as you know Danny losing his powers and then having trying to figure out a way to get it back and then the and the complication you know and there's there's just lots of things so it it. It did kind of, it did kind of move. Well, it picked up a lot of steam at the end, and having Misty be such a big factor, like in in the season, was I, I did like that. I thought that was really, I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, my favorite. I mean, it was definitely enjoyable, but my 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 personal favorite is probably how much Colleen was involved. Oh yeah, because because yeah. Colleen is a Colleen is a unique character from the perspective that she is a she is a supporting character. But she's not. But she is about the closest thing to a co-star you have, I think, in any of the supporting characters in all these shows. And then you look at the main supporting character you think of in, in all the other Netflix shows. I still don't think. First of all, it's hard with some of the shows. It's hard to pick out who is the main supporting character. With Iron Fist, it's it's absolutely clear. It's Colleen. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of been that way ever since Colleen was introduced in season one. It's been Colleen, even with the whole stupid Ward and Joy complication and and their and and their father and everything else. At the end of the day, it was always you know Colleen from the minute they first met and everything else. You knew uh, that character stood out. Like in Luke Cage, you go to Luke Cage even in season, even in the second season. It's like who. Yeah, at first it looked like Claire was was you know was the main co-star, but then they got her out. You know, Rosario Dawson was out by like the third or fourth episode, and then then it was, maybe it was Misty or maybe it was some of his friend you know back to some of his friends from the barber shop and, and everything else. So it's and so it's yeah, I think Colleen's been the most consistent, which makes so and Misty kind of Misty is kind of rising to that level too because of the fact that Misty's becoming. Misty's gonna be coming. Maybe she's the new Claire as far as being the major crossover character. Yeah. Maybe she's going to be the one that crosses over. Though maybe when you know when Daredevil comes back, even though you would think, considering how how at least on the surface how Matt Murdock was relevant to what Danny was doing in the beginning of this season, that you would think that either Colleen or Danny would show up in season, but three of uh, Daredevil. Which I'm not excited well, about at all, really. Number one, because it's been so long. I actually did like season two much better, but I don't. I, I would be. I would be fine if they didn't do a third season. So. Well, I mean, it's you gotta you gotta think given how how much time she's been given on screen and other shows like Punisher and stuff that Karen is gonna play a bigger part in season three. Oh, Daredevil, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. But um, because that's that's probably the main, when you're thinking of. The main supporting character for Daredevil it probably is Karen. Yeah. Foggy me, Foggy hovers, but Karen's probably because of the love interest angle too. That she's probably she is probably the one you would first think of, and Je- uh, Jessica Jones you probably would think of, but Patsy for the most yeah. part. Yeah. Uh, 
but we'll have to see how that goes since obviously Patsy was much more of a, a bad, you know, a, the ba- much more of a jerk and a bad guy actually than Jessica was in this season. So it's kind of going to be interesting to see when they do it, if they do do a third season, how that dynamic's all going to play out. But. All right, uh, Captain Marvel trailer. Yeah, we're we going to play it. Yeah, uh, I am on YouTube right now on the Marvel Entertainment uh, channel. And I'm looking at, I'm I'm right at the very start, so I'm going to go ahead and press play, and we will react right afterwards. Let me mute mine then, all right. Chad, hair color. <laughs> What'd you think? You tell me what you think first. <laughs> um, I mean, hey, I enjoyed it. Um, some people are talking on Twitter already, of course, and comparing it to the Green Lantern origin and backstory and all that stuff. And uh, that's neither here nor there, guys. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, <laughs> Whatever, um, but I—I I mean, I—I I, I enjoy it. It's a—it's—it a, is a first trailer for a movie that comes out next year. Um, I honestly don't think that this this uh, this movie, or rather, the the trailers for this movie, is um, have to achieve too much. Given the ending of Infinity War, they—they uh, they had two movies on the docket. Um, that were built built in. People were going, not everybody, but people were going to want to go see them to see how they tied into Infinity War. Yeah, Ant Man and the Wasp, less so, but definitely, definitely Captain Marvel. People were immediately going to go see because of how how Infinity War ended. So it doesn't have to be too. Uh, revealing too in too insane. It just has to be a good trailer. Uh, it doesn't have to be the most amazing Marvel trailer or anything. It just has to be a good trailer. Um, so I feel like it achieved that. I like uh, I, I like seeing Brie Larson smile. <laughs> I know that sounds sort of creepy, but like I mean, it just uh, she's she's uh, she's always been like a, a fun person to me. So seeing her smile and and you know be kind of snarky with Nick and all that stuff was kind of cool. Um, the power looks cool. I don't know a ton about Captain Marvel, but, uh, you know, we'll see, uh, how all that works out. 
but yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I liked the, the visuals and everything. I thought that was all pretty cool. One thing I'm curious about in this movie is how the de-aging stuff is going to work in this film. Now, we've seen it before in Marvel. Like, we got um, the stuff, yes, and we got the stuff with uh, Robert Downey uh, during Civil War, that flashback stuff, when he was using at the very beginning. <laughs> huh? Barf. Yeah, 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 yeah. But those moments were were shorter clips. How is that stuff going to play when it's going to be the entire focus of those characters' time on screen? Because by those characters, not only do I mean Nick, of course, Nick Fury, I also mean Agent Coulson, since he's in this film. So when they're on screen, given the length of time they're on screen, Will it look consistent and believable all the way through? So that's that's something. Uh, am I am I necessarily worried about it? No, but it's something I will be paying attention to, given that this is the first time they're going to be using it in the MCU at such an extended clip. So we'll see. Uh, but to the pair comparisons of Green Lantern, someone actually posted on Twitter. They said. Uh, uh, I think the Captain Marvel slash Green Lantern comparisons are more inevitable, if that's a thing. Marvel producers and screenwriters, even they were trying to make Carol Danvers less like Hal Jordan. And I said in response to all that, I said, the idea that Green Lantern as a concept is toxic is BS. The interpretation was the problem. Daredevil pilot turns into a member of an interstellar core. It's amazing. Who cares if the concept is the same? Do it better and let the work speak for itself. Show them how it's done. So the people like comparing it online to Green Lantern and the fact that, you know, the test pilot and saying that it's going to be bad because of that or something, it's all unfounded. The concept isn't what's toxic, okay? The interpretation was. So just, (laughs) it's almost a non-argument to try and give this movie any flack by comparing it to Green Lantern. Yeah, I mean, it, it will sadly probably be a better Hal Jordan origin movie than we'll ever get. But <laughs> uh, now, this is this is my take on this. I but this is a movie that from the get go again. I, I have no. I'm am I, am I going to see it? Of course, I'm going to see it. Do I have a great interest to go see this movie? Does it doesn't mean it much to me? No, it doesn't. Did this trailer – so to me, if you look at this trailer objectively, unless you are really pumped about this movie ahead of time for whatever reason because you actually like Carol Danvers or I'm not, and I'm not going to argue the merits of whether this should be the reason you should get excited or not. Let's just say you are. That, oh, it's going to be Marvel's first female lead movie, superhero movie. Yay. Or or it's set in the 90s. I'll, that's going to be – unless you are really pumped about this project to begin with, it's hard to say objectively, that you'd watch this trailer and come out going, yeah, I'm really excited to see this, and I wasn't before. This trailer is pretty, to me, it's pretty blah. And the most interesting things in this trailer to me have nothing to do with Carol Danvers. Most of what people are talking about, oh, they like the 90s tie-in from the blockbuster and thing in the end to the cars and, and everything else, uh, including the... The de-aging of Nick Fury, which is easier to do because Sam Jackson looks damn good for his age, facially. Mm. So, yes, you have to put hair back on him and things like that, but still. Actually, if you just by the snippet in the trailer, Coulson looks worse. You have to worry about Coulson, how he looks. Of course, maybe Coulson's not in it much. But Coulson's – I was not overly impressed with the Coulson CGI compared to the Nick, to the Nick Fury one. But – they seem to be captivated, you know, by, by that, maybe a little bit for the oh, the scrolls and punching the old lady in the face. Who you assume is a scroll? At the very least, she assumes is a scroll. <laughs> yeah, Ryan Daly posted on on, on 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 Twitter about that, and I thought it was hilarious. I mean, it is it is the only thing funnier would have been if it was like a seven year old kid. I mean, I mean the, only thing, the only thing more funny than punching an old person would be punching a little kid <laughs> to be a scroll, but. I don't yeah, he says he says okay, but what if that old woman isn't a scroll? <laughs> just hates old people. Uh, but I I look at it and it's like 
yeah, the the Cree stuff means nothing to me. The I, I mean, I'm interested to see the pre going off to complete deep end, Ronan the the accuser. Uh, that would be kind of a, a little uh, as as mellow as he was, quote unquote. <laughs> it'd be curious. To, it'd be better to see that. But be interesting to see that version before the batshit 100% batshit Infinity Stone craving, uh, Ronan. Um, so I am a little bit. But as far as even tying it into the to Infinity War, because we're not. The only thing we're probably going to get is going we're going to understand what 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 makes her power so unique or so special, and why she can is can be a, a big factor. And of course, we're, I'm sure we're going to get a direct tie into the whole beeper thing. <laughs> where the hell where the hell she is that she can be reached via beeper? <laughs> That's about the only way. You know where and where is she, where exactly is she? Is she beyond time? You know beyond the traditional time? Is she another dimension? Whatever. Uh, but other than that. I don't know. I don't think, and a lot of people seem to have this. Re- and if you break it down shot by shot, there's some really cool things in this trailer. If you look at the trailer as a whole, though, I think it's a pretty la- I think it's a pretty lackluster trailer. But it, it is a teaser trailer, which doesn't excuse stuff. I don't want to use. Pardon me for phrasing it this way. I don't want to use the Bulkman excuse. So, oh, it's just a teaser trailer. <laughs> All trailers are supposed to accomplish two things. They're supposed to let you know the project is, exists. And at least generally when it's coming out, you don't need to have the release date. But like this, like this trailer had 2019. At least people know generally when this movie is coming out and that this movie exists. And you're supposed to drum up interest in this project. It obviously succeeded in making people know the movie's coming out and when. I don't know how much it really made people who were not interested in this movie interested now. Second trailer might fix that. Second trailer may fix that. And as we saw with Venom. A good second trailer can help undo damage from the first. So, mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean the decision to release the first trailers is still good. It just means that it can be overcome. You can the second trailer can take the bad if there's a bad taste in your mouth from the first trailer, or you don't think you saw what you should have seen. Second trailer can give it to you, and then you can kind of like and if it looks good, you can kind of forgive if not all sins, many sins. So we'll have to, we'll have to see this. There isn't anything in this movie that really makes me, and as a lot of people have pointed out, I I like Brie Larson overall. Like I liked her in Kong in Skull Island. I thought she was cool in Skull Island. She had personality in Skull Island. Based on what, and again, it's probably cut this way on purpose. You have to think, but based on the way this trailer is cut, she looks like she's got the personality of a piece of cardboard for the most part. She does, she's not a she she Carol Danvers is not emoting a whole lot. <laughs> So, and I know she's a soldier and all this stuff, and maybe, you know, and maybe that ties into a little bit of what Nick Fury said about the renegade soldier. But either way, she it doesn't look like she has a whole lot of range of expression, which is maybe just how the how it's cut to get her, to get this effect. But that would concern me a little bit that she's going to, you know, she's – there isn't anything in this trailer that says, oh, yeah, she was absolutely perfectly cast for this role based on just what we saw in this trailer. Doesn't mean she's not perfectly cast, but and this movie does have a, does have the unlike Black Panther, which was introduced brilliantly in Civil War, and people and it was a interesting charismatic character that people knew they liked almost from the get go, and then once we saw him in action and by the end of the movie, you were you were in, you were you were interested in seeing a movie about him. Well, obviously, we're not going to have that. Setup for Carol Danvers. That this movie is going to have to rise and fall on people's interest in her, unless you really, unless you know, like Nick Fury and people like that are going to help, and maybe uh, you know Jude Law's Marvel there, and other characters. Maybe they'll be able to carry it a little bit. But there's not a built-in base for this character that's already been established in a movie. So that that is kind of it. Doesn't mean it's going to you know we. Obviously, Guardians wasn't intro- they weren't introduced either, but it depends. Guardians had a different feel to it. This the Guardians, I didn't like it again. That didn't appeal to me much either. But the Guardian trailer was at least funny, and you knew it was a different tone in a Marvel movie. This I don't oh. think has that much of a different tone, and I certainly don't think it has a. So we'll see. We'll we will see. I I don't. Th- I certainly would say it's it's not one of Marvel's better trailers. Um. So. We'll see. But that, but, All right. Yeah. All right. 
Uh, is there anything else we want to talk about before we close out? I don't think so. All right. We did this really well, considering how what a horrible what a horrible time we had even getting to record. <laughs> You're welcome, America. All right. You want to tell them how they can reach out to us? Lanterncast at gmail.com. Website is lanterncast.com. We are on Facebook and Twitter. Hashtag GLCast. You can locate us on either of those using that hashtag. iTunes and Stitcher. Whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And last but not least, not that your people are listening, 708 Lantern is the voicemail. Give us a voicemail and let us know what you think. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night. not having a good it's base baseball is just killing me today man fantasy. oh i won my i won my second fantasy matchup <laughs> so so there's eight of us on my on my nfl fantasy thing and uh and uh what was i saying oh and uh only three of us are two and oh right now yeah i'm oh and two and, and i'm one of them <laughs> i'm oh and two in one league but i'm one and one in in the in the money league, the league that matters the most, but I'm just having yeah. a real shitty base, and I was this close to taking over first, and I'm not doing well. So, so I'm going to try not to look at that much because it's going to frustrate me. All I right. mean, well, as as a as a first as a first year you know fantasy player, I have no illusions that I'm actually going to win this thing. But and, and and it's not money; we're not betting or anything, so it's not going to mean anything other than bragging rights. But I have no illusions that I'm actually going to pull it off. But at the same time, while I do, I'm going to be bragging up a storm to everybody else. <laughs> well, yeah, of course, because you want to psych them out. <laughs> yeah. Um, just let me take a look at one. Oh, at least those runs were unearned. That's a plus huh. for now. Doesn't mean it's going to last that way because that's what I need. I, I can't give Who's up. Who's playing? It's the Dodgers and the Rockies, and I have the Dodgers starter. I I'm neck and neck. I'm three points out of first place. I'm trying to keep this short since we're so far behind. I'm three points out of first place. This is a league that I've won friggin' uh, twelve times in since this league was created in two thousand and one. Mm-hmm. I've won it twelve times, including twice I've won it five years in a row. Now now I haven't won it in the last two years, and if I don't win it this year, it'll be three. And this league means everything to me. So heading into today, I was I was a point and a half behind, but now I'm back to being now I'm back to three, and I and on the verge of four because my pitching sucked today. So I lost a point back in ERA, and we only have like a week and a week and a half left of the season. So any any kind of fuck up is becomes a lot more stressful and a lot more problematic because there's less time to make it up. But but that's, when I was a kid, I used to be a big Colorado Rockies fan. Like I had a big puffy. You know, '90s style winter jacket for the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, the I, I like the Rockies when they were first when they first came in the league. They, I like them. I like them in the Marlins, and I actually liked and I liked the Diamondbacks too when they when they first came in. I kind of like. I never liked Tampa that much when they first came in the league as an expansion team, but but I did. But I, I don't know. Something about expansion teams I kind of kind of gravitate towards a little. Um, so. Uh-huh. All right. Ready? Yeah, let's roll and get this sucker over with. I'll just make that fantasy talk after the credit stuff. <laughs> Enjoy. Hope you enjoyed that, guys. <laughs> All right, here we go. <clears throat>